G'day everyone and welcome to Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. I'm your host, Amy McCann, and after spending more than a decade repping the green and gold for Australia, I've swapped my glove for a microphone to bring you some of the great stories of our sport. Before we get started with this second episode, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who downloaded, listened to or shared the very first episode which featured Australia's Laura Needs. I've been blown away by all the messages, texts, posts and comments and the fact I had people across four continents and more than a dozen countries tuning in to hear about women's baseball. So my guest for episode two. It was my absolute privilege and pleasure to interview this guest, something which I really feel I'm going to be saying every time I open a podcast because we simply have so many quality people in our sport. And while I think my next guest needs no introduction, mainly because to do so would take longer than the actual interview, I still wanted to provide a tiny snapshot of what is already one of the most impressive baseball resumes going around, and it's not even close to being complete. To summarize, she was a collegiate softball player, four-time World Cup representative with USA Baseball Women's National Team. She's now the current coach of the USA Women's National Team, She's been a member of the Oakland Athletics Major League Baseball coaching staff since 2019. And because simply she's a superwoman, she's also a firefighter. I really hope you enjoy this interview as much as I did with Veronica Alvarez. Welcome, Veronica Alvarez. Uh, Thank you for joining me on the Inside Pitch. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Now, it's quite early here in Australia, which means it's getting, I guess, to the end of the day where you are. Can you share with us where you are in the world and how did baseball make up your day? I am currently in Miami Beach, Florida. I am no longer at spring training, unfortunately. I was there when we first started talking, but I am in Miami Beach and uh, today I had some lessons. So I did have baseball incorporated to my day, which was great. What were the lessons? I, I give catching lessons to teenagers. So uh, today I had a couple and uh, just catching specific stuff. Awesome. Well, one of the questions I love to ask is how how you, how everyone got started in women's baseball. I think we've all got some really cool stories, uh, how we got started. Uh, mine, for example, my dad recorded a, a an MLB game on VHS back in the day and I watched it and I was hooked and I rang up, I think, probably a dozen baseball clubs before one actually said, yeah, we'll take a girl which is pretty cool. So shout out to the Kissing Point Angels in Sydney. Now, your journey, how did you start? I did read something about you refused to do ballet initially. Yeah. <laughs> yep, I uh, I just, I, I always say that I wanted, I was born wanting to play baseball. And, you know, I, I obviously, I'm, I'm not obviously, I'm Cuban. I am of Cuban descent and in the Cuban culture, baseball is a big deal, uh, but not for women. So it was, I feel like born in me to want to play. Like it wasn't that anybody was necessarily encouraging me when a boy is born. I I've told this story before, but when a boy is born, they say, Oh, he's got big legs. He's going to be a catcher. Right. And you know, if they're skinny, they're going to be a middle infielder and, and so on and so forth. But that doesn't necessarily happen for girls. So, uh, I, I, like you said, I denied the opportunity to do ballet when I was taken, I ran away screaming, waving my arms. Uh, said I wanted to play and uh, fortunately for me I had supportive parents that didn't really fall in line with the cultural norms and allowed me to play the game that I wanted to play so yep I started playing when I was five I have an older brother who also uh, started playing around the same time so my first uh, 
time, I guess, in uniform on a field would be his Batgirl. But then once right after that, I, I started on a team myself. And those first few years, how uh, what was it about the sport that grabs you? What 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 made you fall in love with it? It's hard to say. Looking back, I mean, I I love throwing, and I feel like that was something I excelled at since I was little. And so I think just being good at that helps me just keep you know wanting to play. Uh, I remember one of my first tryouts when I was little. They it was for little league or whatnot, and they just kind of were picking teams. Uh, and they put all of the kids that were trying out at third base and they wanted to just see who could make the throw across the field. And uh, I knew that I was going to make the throw, but because I was the only girl at the tryout, the the father, the, the parent at first base, uh, moved closer towards third base uh, when it was my turn. And I like threw it over his head or something like that just to prove a point. Um, and, you know, everyone shocked everyone as as it does to, to see a, a girl or a woman throw a ball like, like the guy does, you know, I don't, I don't know why it's so shocking because we're so used to it. Uh, but it is. And it was shocking then. And it, it's funny how it's still shocking now. Yeah. I think we've all got our stories. If you come up to bat playing men's or boys and they bring it in, there's a girl, there's a girl, there's nothing better than hitting it over their head. So you, you played um, through until a teenager, but you switched to softball and it's something that we see a lot. We lose girls from, so from baseball over into that softball in that age group, what was that pressure like for you to leave? I've, I've read that you've said that that pressure to stop playing baseball can be so in your face for girls. Yeah, how, how was that for you? Yeah, so I, for me, I mean, I've seen every story when on the women's team, uh, the players have come into contact through as a coach or as a player, and everyone does have a similar but slightly different story, I would say, of how they kind of made the switch or if they never switched or, or what their experiences were. But for me, it was more uh, softball pulling me in instead of baseball pushing me out. Um, so it didn't seem like a negative switch for me at the time. And even looking back, like it didn't feel like I was getting a lot of hate from the, the boys' side or anything like that. I felt like I was still very competitive. Um, when I did switch, but fast pitch softball was just taking off in Miami. Um, and so uh, then, you know, became my friend. Her mom was a big part of, of fast pitch softball, you know, doing what it did in Miami. And so she was the one who kind of pulled me over to the girls uh, softball side and, and convinced me that, you know, I would be playing softball at junior high on the team uh, and that I should just completely switch over. And and I was anti it at first because, you know, they just started playing fast pitch and I had been playing with the boys competitively for, for a few years. And, uh, you know, I, you know, said negative comments that they weren't good enough or whatnot. And, you know, uh, a little attitude as a little girl, whatever. But uh, <laughs> so it, I was against it for a little bit and I held off at just enough time and then I made the switch. And I, I never speak poorly of softball because I had really great opportunities. I was, you know, obviously met great people in my travel softball teams, was able to play college softball at Villanova. Uh, and then after soft, uh, collegiate softball, I played a summer of softball in Spain. So really great opportunities. Um, and and uh, that's a struggle for me now when I get approached with the question of should I switch to softball, right? Because unfortunately, there is more opportunity in softball in the United States, at least. And so so it's hard for me 
obviously I'm like number one person do not want to lose these players to softball, right? I want them for the women's national team. I want them. I want to have access to each and every one of these players having played college, uh, high school baseball, college baseball, so that when they get to the women's team, they're ready, right? They're, they're at their best almost. So it's hard for me to, to, to say that, you know, uh, there is a better opportunity for them sometimes in softball. So I, we get asked this question all the time. I don't know how you feel about it, but, um, you know, do I switch? And so I always tell them, like, it's up to you, obviously, what you want to do, but you got to weigh your options here. Uh, do I want to go to an elite level uh, university? Like, what am I going to college for? Am I going to play a sport or am I going to go to college for the schooling part of it, right? So then what kind of college do I go to? Uh, what are my priorities? Do I... Do I prefer going to a lower level um, athletic university so that I can play baseball? Or do I go to a lot higher level athletic university and potentially play softball at a D1 uh, you know, level? Those are just options, right? So I think every, it, it's up to each and every player, but uh, it's something that they have to kind of go through and decide. Um, but unfortunate that it is, it is uh, an issue. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think back to when I first started, and I go, "Oh yeah, I would have, I would have taken up the scholarship. I would have taken it." It's like, well, I actually never played softball, so I can't say that. But I see girls now. We've got girls in the Australian squad, young girls, teenagers who are heading over, and it's you. You talk about that word. They've got options. There's. Yeah. It's in the Olympics. It's in. It's collegiate. It's things like that. It's. It's those options that are lacking for for baseballers which makes that difference. But I know particularly through USA Baseball and MLB, um, you've got the the grit and trailblazer and breakthrough series. Can you, I know you've, you've been heavily involved in it just recently. You did the, the virtual um, trailblazer. Can you sort of detail what, I guess, USA Baseball and MLB are trying to, to do in that space to, to fill that gap? Yeah, so I give them so much credit. And I think these events have really filled the gap, as you said, uh, and created opportunities for those girls to play, continue playing baseball. When I was a player on the national team, I don't know how many times I came into contact with 16-year-olds that were, re- were good. Um, they just weren't ready to make the national team. They wouldn't make the national team, and then that's it. We wouldn't see them again. And that was kind of like the age where they either had to decide to go to the softball route and then we would lose them forever. So since these events, the Trailblazer, Trailblazer is a younger one, but it still creates an opportunity for them to play. But that breakthrough series and that grit, it just kind of allows them uh, a, a place, an outlet to continue playing baseball at a high level with good level instruction. Um, so I, I credit those events for that. In these last few years, we've been able to bridge that gap. And now we see 18-year-olds, 19-year-olds at tryouts that have never switched to softball, that have continued to develop as baseball players. So it's been so beneficial to the women's, but the women's national team, but also just to them and their growth as players. And then has now opened opportunities for them to play at a collegiate level. And, and we've seen more and more of those girls going into that and getting those, those opportunities. I guess outside the collegiate level, we see, I mean, I guess Japan, Australia, um, there's some really strong leagues around the world. How, how far away are we from a, a women's league in the US? Do you think it's a possibility? Personally, I think we're, we're it's, it's a hard question, right? Because la- like, that's what I would love for, the, to, for them to have. But we are dealing with such a um, 
people are so set in their minds that in the U.S. that girls and women play softball and boys play baseball. Like we really need to create that divide for them in, in the general public's minds in order for these opportunities to continue to exist uh, so that we do get girls and, and women that have developed within baseball, never played softball, right? Again, I have nothing against softball, but so that they develop in the sport that, that we're trying to create a league in, right? And so that we have a solid league across the board. So it isn't hodgepodge or, you know, subpar, because you know that we get judged as women based off one experience, off one person, off of anything. So to put out a subpar product is kind of, might be detrimental to women's baseball, so it, I think that the more opportunities we can continue to create for these teenage, you know, you know, 18U, 20U girls, the higher the chances that we have a, a successful league in the U.S. for women, yep. you know. If we talk about players leaving to go to softball, we got you back. I guess we are talking about the women's baseball community. You, you came back in your early, I guess, early 20s. Mid, Similar to... Mid. to <laughs> Similar to myself, you were a sort of a later starter. I, I didn't play for Australia until I was 23. As I understand you found the US women's team by Google. That is just so now. I mean, the people probably find it on TikTok now, but it's, um, yeah, just tell me about those first few years. Yeah, so I, like you said, I found it on Google. So after my opportunity to play softball in Spain, um, I got a job at the public school system here at a desk job. And I was like, I need an outlet to play the game. Like, I need to find a way to continue playing this game, right? Um, and so I, when I was about 11 to 12, 11, 12, I saw one game of the Colorado Silver Bullets on TV. Um, and I'll never forget that. One game. When, you know, I have, for, I have the worst memory and I have forgotten so many things. But I will not forget that one thing, which is such an example of how visibility is so important, right? And, and having representation so that we could see things and do them. But um, so that's actually what led me to Google, right? Or the Google search of the national team is I Googled the silver bullets and in some roundabout way that led me to USA Baseball. Um, yeah, my first tryout was Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, it was a, it was a big weekend for me in my life in Miami. We usually go down to the Florida Keys the 4th of July weekend. Um, so I was perplexed or had this like kind of crossroads. Do I go try out for something? I have no idea what's about to happen in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Um, or do I go to the Florida Keys for a weekend and, you know, party? And so I now have realized that that was the crossroads that leads me to this point in my life and how I am where I am right now. And so if I wouldn't have gone that weekend, I would have potentially never tried out for the women's team and never been in baseball right now. So um, I, I obviously went to Kenosha, Wisconsin. My parents went with me. They're my big supporters and, and cheerleaders. So um, and it was such a cool thing to walk out into the field and see all these women that had never switched to softball or like good, good majority of them had never switched to softball, right? So they had played high school baseball, uh, maybe played it like Malika Underwood, right? She played high school baseball and then she played volleyball in college, right? Uh, same thing with Tamara Holmes. Like they didn't just go play softball in college, they just played another sport. Uh, but then there was women across the board that just had never switched. And it was like magical, right? It was a league of their own, tryout on the field, in the grass, everyone's warming up. It was heaven. Uh, and that first event was they were rededicating the field 
to the women of the All-American Girls Professional League. Because uh, yeah, I was, was about to say Kenosha. Yeah, it was one of the history, original yeah. fields. So not only was this event cool because now I get to be around women in baseball, but the women from the league were there for the oh, rededication. Wow. Uh, they introduced them. They sang the song the, from the movie, which just like, you know, was like all I needed. I've seen that movie a hundred times, if not more. And so then on, on top of it, I went up to bat. And so it was one of my first times I ever had my name on the back of my jersey, which like that one tournament and then USA Baseball was the only time I've had it. So, um, and I know it's not important, but it's just those little things, you know, like, and, and so anyway, I went up to bat and all of a sudden they announced my name and I have like a cheering section behind me. And I'm like, what the heck? Like my parents aren't that loud. Right. And it turns out that the women from the league, these older women had uh, a friend, Lefty Alvarez, that now there's a book about her. So they had their friend Lefty Alvarez uh, that they just felt that they needed a cheer for me because my last name was Alvarez in honor of Lefty because she would have had, you know, had it no other way. So I, it was a cool part of my intro to women's baseball was to have experienced that moment with them. So that was cool. And then obviously then getting to play on the women's national team that first year we played in Japan, um, in 2008 and it was such a just a, a phenomenal experience to not only travel to Japan to play baseball, but then being in that atmosphere where they love baseball so much. Um, and then it took on this new life for me of of being all in, right, of on women's baseball. Uh, and now I'm just continuing that road that that put me on. You mentioned those World Cups. I just want to take you back to sort of that preparation. It, it... For a lot of people around the world, they don't quite understand what you guys do to prepare for a World Cup. They think USA, they think powerhouse, they think camps. You guys are all together for ages. And that's not quite the case. I, I read that you would go and knock on the doors of high schools to, to see if you could catch bullpens or do anything like that you could to, to train. Tell me, tell me through that, some of the preparations for your World Cups. Yeah, it's, it's really impressive what – I mean, I did it as a player, but now being their coach, like what the women are willing to – to do just to continue playing this game. So we're usually just together for like four weeks, if that, uh, and it just happens right around the world cup. Like it's no, um, it's not like an, a month, you know, months of, of being together or whatnot. So usually all of us have jobs and, and, or the good majority, the ones that are out of college and high school have jobs. And so we find ways around that to, to find time to train. And so, yes, like you mentioned, I had an opportunity to train at a high school through contacts. I think USA Baseball had uh, one of the coaches from this particular high school um, coach at one of their events, so they put us into contact, and he said, yeah, sure, come out. And so I, I uh, pretended I was a teenage boy for three months just training for the women's event. So um, my boss was wonderful at the time, and she let me go into work early and leave work early so that I could go at lunchtime and train uh, with the high school for a couple hours and then I would go back to work. So, um, I've had that. I've, I've just like picked up guys at the park, like seen them practicing and been like, Hey, uh, can I, can I practice with you tomorrow? And they're like, what, <laughs> you know? And they like the last thing they expect here. And, uh, I, you know, Miami is very much, a uh, machista environment still, you know, so these guys are like you, and I would go through the entire thing of telling them why I, I needed a train. And they're like, 
yeah, okay, uh, come tomorrow, and they'd be all skeptical about it. And then I would show up, and they it would surprise them that I would just show up, you know, period. And then, and then obviously going into the training part, and they loved it. They loved that I was so into it. They loved that I was capable of doing it. Uh, I would, you know, throw to them and vice versa. So we were helping each other. Uh, but I was lucky, and I get, you know, I, I love that I was able to find all these people that, you know, maybe I skeptical at first, but eventually were willing to to help in any way possible. So, but the women do that. And we, the another thing that we do um, that we started probably around that same year I was training with the high school was we call them baseball cations, and uh, I don't know if anyone else still calls them that, but we we're calling them at the time that, and it, we would just find locations where you know the players flew like four five different players flew into Miami and we trained for uh, four days together. Um, and it just created these opportunities to kind of train with your teammate, which usually you didn't get to do. So uh, we did one where they came to Miami, they trained for four days and we went to Boston. Uh, now they go to like Atlanta. There's a few uh, players around that area that are able to get together. Um, so yeah, so all those things all because we wanted to do them because we were making the effort um, just so that we would be ready once it was time to get together with the women. And it's interesting you talk about that, the commitment. I think once once girls are in or women are in baseball, that commitment and the passion, it's just another level. Like we know we have to do what we have to do. We, we train harder, we train longer. We have to be technically more correct. We, we do that. And it's just you find it's so interesting. It's the same, I guess, here, and I'm, I'm sure it's the same in – in the other countries, and I saw it when I lived in Japan, it's, um, as you said, that commitment and that passion that you see every day. Yeah, it's really incredible, but it adds to, like, the greatness of being around the women. I tell every guy, like, that comes out, we had a, I don't know if you guys experienced this in Australia, but it, here, most of the men that come out to, to coach with us are skeptical, right? They don't know because they don't see it. So, yep. so um as a player, I experienced it where they came in like, sure, I'll do it. It's USA Baseball. They've given me opportunities in the past. I'll do this for them. And then they leave like crying, like that we've revived their love for the game. And like, I've seen these men cry. I'm not making this up. Like two different times as a player, these men left the, the event crying. And it, it was, and right now our assistant coach on the, on the team is uh, Manny Crespo Sr. He's had 50 years in professional baseball. He's an older man. And he, like, last year, is like, he's like, this is the greatest thing that I've ever done before. You know, like, the, just the, the passion that comes out of these players. I, as a coach, I credit them so much. I, I have never and will never see myself having to ask them to put more effort in. Like, these players show up on the field and they're ready to go 100%, all in, attention, you know, is their, their attention's in, they're physically ready, everything's ready to go, and, like, how amazing is that, right? Now, your World Cups, you just missed 2006. Um, you represented USA at four World Cups. Should have been probably six. You missed that first one just on the edge, but you also missed one because you were starting your career as a firefighter. Now, you play baseball, you live <laughs> in Miami, you're a firefighter. I don't reckon it gets any cooler than that. <laughs> I want to ask, firefighting and baseball, which lends more to the other? Also, do they... Do they do, do you, does being a baseballer help you being a firefighter and vice versa? There actually, there's so many similarities in the two. But one of the things I realized was as a beginning firefighter, I was probably better than other probationary firefighters or beginning firefighters or firefighters in their the beginning of their careers uh, because of the experience I had as a catcher 
in baseball, right? As, as a player at a high level and then specifically as a catcher. Uh, that ability to control the chaos of the game, um, kind of that, you know, player manager role of just, uh, you know, calling pitches, everything that comes with being a catcher, that leadership role. So that experience as a player, I think, made me better at the beginning of my career as a firefighter. Um, as a firefighter, our job is to control chaos. Um, and so that allowed me to, to, to act appropriately or kind of maintain the cool in those moments when, when I'm first seeing a lot of bad stuff, right? And then through, through my experience as a firefighter, I've only gotten better at that. And that I feel like has made me stronger now that I'm a manager. So I feel like one helped me, it's, they've helped each other in a way. So as a manager, I feel like part of managing is controlling that chaos and I like being able to control your emotions and, and, you know, oversee everything. And that's a lot of what we do in the firefighting world and the paramedic, yeah. I'm a paramedic as well. So in that medic world as well. And it's interesting. <laughs> uh, I was about to say you're doing everything. It's, it's interesting. You, you take from that, that, off baseball, off field, uh, your your profession, and, and it can give to your sport. I think, we, I guess, while we would rather be professional, we would all rather learn money. I, I actually personally think that having to work a full time job alongside my entire Australian career was it was frustrating. We all wanted to play baseball full time, mm-hmm. but I think that being able to retire and already have a career and have a house and things like that cannot be understated. But just that life lessons being able to take from one to the other, I think. It it, it, rich, it it enriches us as uh, people in the workforce, but people on the field. I think we definitely were all stronger. Is, is that sort of how you say it? Definitely, yeah. I mean, and probably makes you appreciate the times we do get on the field more, right? Exactly. That, that they don't happen so often. I think that's a good point of of why the women do seem to give more effort at times. Is it's you're right, and and from a young age we don't have those opportunities that the boys do have from a young age. They know that their careers are going to continue or that there's at least the possibility of it continuing where where potentially a lot of people's career ended after college. I was technically mm-hmm. done with my career, something I had just dedicated my entire life with, and I was only 23 years old. You know, if I wouldn't have found baseball, that would have been the end of it. And so boys, I mean, yeah, not everyone gets to play professional baseball, but there's that, you know, there's a poten- you know, potentially an opportunity for you to do so. So um, I think that, that that does, you know, you do make a good point with that is that the fact that the opportunities are, there are less of them than we, we appreciate them more. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's the same thing with having a career on, on the flip side. Like it was nice to kind of get away and play baseball, you know. I, I held on to a career I hated for seven years because it allowed me to play baseball. And that's, you put it right there, you do, it was almost, yeah, you did what you had to do just so we could go play baseball. So. Yeah. That's a good that, point. The, I, when, I, when it came time to switch that year that I missed uh, the World Cup in 2014, if that would have happened sooner in my life or in sooner in my baseball and women's national team baseball career, I probably would have, uh, probably would have denied the job and, and just gone to play the, the event, you know, but at that point I was, it was already older. It was the, towards the end of my career. And I knew that the job I was trying to get as a firefighter paramedic was very hard to come by. And there, there isn't just like, Oh, I'll get the next one. No, it's like a very difficult job to get. So it was a very difficult decision, but the point in my life that I was at it, I had to do it, but I think about it. And I think if it would have happened five years before that, I probably would have said no and gone mm. and played baseball. Mm. 
Well, to your four four World Cups, I want to ask you four questions. Okay. I know I'm going to summarize your World Cups into really four questions. Okay. So just But favorite memory? From my World Cups. Yep. Yeah, and she's one. It's actually a weird favorite memory, but it was uh, not when I got trucked by you guys. <laughs> Wait, was that you that trucked me? No, that no. was actually, that was Samantha Hamilton. For, for the listeners that don't know, it's actually on our wall in uh, the picture that's underneath Sam's frame jersey. Of nice. Her. I actually, awesome. it was, the, it was uh, 2008 World Cup. Yep. And Australia was Australia was playing the USA. I actually had hit the ball to third base and Sam was on third. And they played home. And I don't know if Sam had watched Karate Kid the night before, but came in. And I didn't see it because I was running up to first. And then all I remember was going into the dugout and it was on, it was on in the field. And then when Sam got on first base the next time up to bat the pickoff after pickoff after pickoff and some yeah. nice little elbows and knees at first base it was it was on for young and old um she took me out <laughs> i think you hit the back i mean she I, was for the record she was out all right we gotta just throw oh, that in there yeah. <laughs> but she took me out. i was like the last thing i was expecting so in softball you're not allowed to do that right and that's what i was just coming off of was softball where you're not allowed to truck the catcher so I jumped up to the ball, I land, and I look, and she's coming at me. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> and then she she took, like, I love the sequence of pictures. There is a sequence of pictures, for those that don't know. But I start, like, a good amount of space in front of home, and I end, like, <laughs> beyond the plate, yes. which is nuts. Yeah. So it's funny because my mom was in the stands, and she says, her, her side of the story was that when the crack happened of the impact, that all the parents like were like, oh, and they like went to comfort her, and she was like, she better have held on to that ball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So then, we're, I'm just gonna finish the story because this is a great part of our story of us versus you guys and us personally. But um, when, so our first baseman was Sarah Gascon, not to throw under the bus. Yes. This just did you know create some ha- ha- uh, havoc? I guess was. <laughs> I didn't know what was happening when the pickoffs were happening. I was catching, Neither right? Did I. I was clueless. Yeah. I had no idea. <laughs> and so I was like, so the first pickoff happens and Sarah's like a super intense player, you know, like she's like, whack. And I'm like, man, Sarah's really like putting down a tag. And then the next one comes and she's like, whack, like even harder. And I'm like, what's happening over there? You know, third one goes up and Samantha looks up like I, her face as she came up off the bag was like, what is this? You know, like, so, and then I come in, I'm like, Sarah, what, what happened? Like, what were you doing at first base? And she's like, that's the girl. That's the girl that he ran into. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. But I mean, I didn't, I didn't know that we were going to do that, but okay. No, look, and I, I love that because Sarah's um Sarah's still good friends with us, and as you are, and I think I remember in 2010 in Venezuela, we yourself and Sam, you reenacted the the yes. kick in the, the, and I love that the women's baseball we can between the lines go hard, um mm-hmm. and and obviously within the rules and, and go from there, but that was yeah, one of the funnier yeah. moments. For it me. is it is a funny one. I'm glad there's a picture sequence for it, of it, but my favorite <laughs> part or one of World Cup events was. In 2010, we were playing Venezuela in Venezuela, and it was a packed house. 
There was like 16,000 people there, which we've never played in front of 16,000 people. So such a cool thing. Um, We, the reason this is a weird event is because, reason, reason this is a weird memory or favorite memory is because we lost. But it was such a cool thing to be on the field, 16,000 fans. We were winning. Don't, I don't quote me on this, but I think it was like 5-0. Our coach takes out Marty Cementelli, which is our, 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 our starting pitcher of the game, um, because we were winning 5-0, and he thought, you know, what the heck, which I was like, what a shift of momentum by taking her out, right? Not that nobody can do the job, but just like the whole idea that we, you got to the shifts of momentum in the game of baseball and how that makes it part of the great game. But he takes out Marty and our pitcher, whoever comes in, walks a batter, I believe. And it was as if they had just scored five runs in the stands and everyone yeah. erupted. The fans erupted and it became like a whole new ball game where it just went downhill from there. And I felt it as the catcher, like felt my team crumble with all the noise that was happening and the five bands in the stands just cheering and cr- making music. And we ended up losing that game. But it's still my favorite moment because it was such a cool thing to be a part of. But it's, it's funny because I think, uh, well, I remember Venezuela went on a tear. They were undefeated because we lost to them. We got uh, blanked by them in the first time we played them. And they did. They went on an absolute tear. And then we, uh, we were the team that finally burst their bubble in that semifinal. Um, but it was. It was amazing. I, I, it changed the game, I think, for all of us. For example, we're all used to standing on a field with – 20, 30, 100 people if we're lucky. So you could have a conversation with your shortstop, right. talk to your, to your left fielder, and the coach would just – I remember Dom Ruggiero, my coach, would just go, Amy, move me over. <laughs> I, remember, I remember standing in center field just going – and all the – everyone's yelling, the coach is going, why didn't you listen? I'm like, I can't. And I'm like, we had to have hand signal. It totally changed the way you played baseball. I mean, and I, I'll never forget that, that World Cup. I mean, obviously, I said to Lulu in the first episode, I think there needs to be a podcast series just on 2010 Yeah, from from what happened. Um, oh, definitely. And it so, was just yeah. a ticker, just a ticker item. I don't even think it was on the ticker of ESPN that there was a shooting in, in the Women's Baseball World Cup. No, well, back here in Australia, it got reported as a uh, the Australian women's softball team. And then it got reported Aww. as the it got reported on the radio as an Australian women's baseball player has been shot. My parents heard it on the radio in the garden and oh my gosh, yeah, it was uh, an interesting time, I guess, for all of us. Um, yeah. The yeah, next question, ne- the next question, maybe this actually we may have just talked about, okay. but what what's your? I don't want to say worst memory, but I guess that memory that sticks with you hardest, toughest World Cup memory, Ooh. if there is one. I don't, this is a hard one. I, and I thought of something right when you said it. And then, and then I, I feel like that loss also was the worst too. Cause I felt like that kind of held us back from, we would have been in the gold medal game potentially if we would have won that. I feel like if I remember correctly, but like, I remember at the end of that game, just being like, like kind of destroyed about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was like such a hard fought battle, you know, to come try to come back from the deficit then or, or just try to get the lead again. But man, I I would say that that's a hard one. That's a hard one. Maybe I'll have an answer for you at the end, though. Okay. <laughs> I have a question that's around the 2012 World Cup. You're, you're the last team to beat Japan at a World Cup. Silver in 2012. Is that the year you think 
was that the one that got away? Do you think you could have could have won that one? Yeah. It was such a hard, like, closed game. And, yeah, that's a hard one. Like, I would say that's uh, – but I think we had, like, really great opportunities to – we had a solid team in, in 2008 and obviously in 2010. I almost feel like 2010 is more of a chance that we, we had a really good chance of, of winning that year. Mm, it's funny how you, you... – yeah, you think that. We we won silver in 2010 and we went to 2012 with such high expectations and we came fourth again for the fourth time in five World Cups. And I think that fourth is maybe, I mean, losing bronze to you guys in 2008, that game was brutal. Uh-huh. But I think the fourth in 2012 after a silver the two years before, I think that for me is, is still hard to take. So yeah. it's, it's interesting how you see uh, – hindsight's always in retrospect the career is it's easy to look at biggest life lesson you took from your world cups as a player Ooh, Ooh, there's so many life lessons in in this game i i i mean one of my favorite life lessons in baseball i guess would say is like you can't really like not i don't even know how to phrase it great that's awesome um (laughs) the like that you can't you can't really blame somebody else for a mistake, right? Like the you can't get mad at your your shortstop or your second baseman for making an error because next game it might be you making an error, right? That the game is very kind of keeps you honest. Um, uh, I think that's a great lesson of the game. Uh, I think that people that don't play sports, I mean, probably every sport kind of has that lesson built into it, but you see that in people that don't play sports are more likely to kind of point fingers and put blame on others where I feel like people that have had the experience in sport, it's, it's a little less likely to do. Hmm. Um, specifically our world cups, man, you're making these questions hard. <laughs> I, I tell you, I have the worst memory too. I needed to have thought of these things. You've nobody's ever asked me these questions before. Oh, there you go. There you go. I can, uh, <laughs> hang, I, I can hang up my microphone. My job here is done. <laughs> That's great. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like so many things came from it. So many great things came from, you know, being teammates with the women I got to be teammates with. Um, it, it just built really good friendships and good relationships. And I think that those relationships have enriched my life, not just the game, you know. So um, I feel like there's a lot of lessons I learned that I can't even pinpoint. No, you're right. It's just continually... Uh... I guess I get re- reminded or get, you get refreshed when you think of things. I think the one bit of advice I'd give to girls now who are starting out is actually take it all in more, be in the mm-hmm. moment more. I think both you and I had long careers, but at the same time, good Lord, they went fast. Yeah. I, well, yeah. that that makes me think. Like, So my first two years, so I love photography. That's a side note. But that kind of comes into play in this part of the story. But my first year, whatever, like – random picture with my parents right like not that much focus on good quality moment captures right with the camera and so I really made it a point my I actually remember that in Venezuela I look back for picture I'm like man I have like the like like the crappiest picture with my parents like I was about to board the bus and I was like oh right quick quick picture with them that have traveled to Venezuela Japan everywhere to see me play and there isn't a quality photo so them specifically, but we could probably look at all the photos and feel the same. So in 2012 and beyond, I made it like a point, not only with my pa- my parents, but with other people's parents. And like, we had such a great cheering section in Canada in 2000 and 
uh, 12. So I, I was like, we're having a full fan family picture taking. And we brought all the family and friends onto the field and we took a, a group shot. And But that goes with you, you know, the, the taking all in, right? That was a big part of it. These people have traveled here to, to see us. They're a part of our experience. And, and because I have a bad memory, I need to remember these things. So I need to have these quality pictures. And so that was something I kind of uh, did then going forward was, was trying to take it all in. And, and in my, my version is taking more pictures and being more present. And it's funny, you talk about the photos are so important for us because we, particularly in the first half of the World Cup um, period, we weren't on television. We weren't on YouTube. We weren't on, mm-hmm. there was no streaming, at least the last couple of World Cups. Fantastic. We've seen games online, but some of us only have the photos or that one DVD of that one random game from 2006 or a couple of games from 2010. And we hang on to those for dear life because that's yeah. all we've got. It's almost like we're the second iteration of the all American girls league. We've got, I, every time I see a new bit of vision from the 1943s, 1950s you're just like wow and that's kind of I feel like we're us like you hear about oh my god that world cup game or that nationals game was online you're like what where is it I've got to watch it yeah it's it's bizarre but yeah there there's one there's a video that Marty Sementelli's dad has and I've been trying to get from her and slash him since 2008 so it was a, a video of a game that she pitched uh I want to say it was versus Japan in Japan with me catching there's a whole video of the entire games on video. And I'm like, Marty, I need a copy of this. Like, I need to find a way. I'll pay for it. I'll do whatever that I have to do because you're right. Like, that's all we have. Like, when I'm 80 years old and I try to talk about my time in baseball and everyone's like, you're lying. Sure, crazy old lady. It's like, no, look. <laughs> like, look how cool this is, you know? Like, we got to play in Japan versus Japan. Like, how sweet is that? Yeah, and it's hard because my parents never saw me play for Australia and that's the challenge, for, particularly for the Australian team, we don't play as an Australian group on home shores. We don't yet have an ABL, which hopefully will be coming, but um, also that correlates to girls and, and women who want to aspire uh, to be women's baseballers. It's hard to be what you can't see and for us it's it's harder. It's almost like, yeah, just got to have those, those still photographs. So... Um, Look, I know we could talk about God, we could talk about your playing career <laughs> forever, um, but I want to talk about your coaching career. So, the, the my dream, I look at there's a hundred girls that played for Australia, and, and unfortunately, there's the keeping of the girls in the game at any level, whether it's coaching, umpiring, scoring. There's plenty of roles. There's, hasn't been great um, here in Australia. We've we've lost a lot to life, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, you give so much. What was the moment that you went? No, nah, I'm staying. And, and coaching, when, when was it and, and why? Uh, I knew that when, as a player, like I, I don't know if it was like a series of bad, I don't want to say anything negative, but we had some coaches that really like weren't there with the best intentions at the beginning of the career. And I think just seeing that and, and knowing that we deserved better, um, at least people with the right, uh, that had the right, uh, intentions and, and had high expectations of us and wanted the best of us, which, which we did have towards the end of my playing career. We had guys with the, with good intentions and, and wanted the best for us. Um, but seeing that early on, I, I knew that once I stopped playing, I would go all into coaching. Uh, and, and I feel like a, a lot of the older players or the players that were on the team at the time felt the same. So, 
um, yeah, I, I knew that once I stopped, I would go in. So in 2015, when we played in the Pan American Games, which um, you guys weren't there because you're not a Pan American country, but it was such a, re- a great experience. Um, and we haven't talked about it because because it, it kind of is off the World Cups and it was really the only year that it happened. But uh, such a cool experience to be part of of that, right? We're with other elite athletes from other sports and being on Athlete Village and and just that whole moment was incredible. But I, I was injured. My arm was messed up and I would need surgery. So I knew that that year would be my last. And so I kind of uh, came back knew that I wasn't going to have surgery unless it was an Olympic sport the following uh, year. <laughs> I knew I would I would only have surgery if there was a chance of me being an Olympian, but there it wasn't. And so I just I went through the grief uh, grieving process about not playing anymore and uh, went all into coaching. And my job as a firefighter has allowed me to take those opportunities within the coaching world. So it's it's kind of helped me in that way. So you're still now you're still balancing you're still doing both. Still doing both. Wow. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, and it's great. So my my, my schedule as a firefighter is is uh, I can manipulate. Um, and so I could exchange days and then and uh, take opportunities within baseball. So uh, it's been wonderful, you know, with the women's team if we're gone for four weeks or with spring training uh, that I could say yes to those things. But it's obviously it gives it's a good income and – uh, I love to do it and, and it, and it's kind of sets me up to be able to take these, say yes to opportunities. Now your assistant coach with the U S women's team in 2018, we'll, we'll touch on that a little bit. Um, but as an Aussie, I'm always going to be drawn to the green and gold, forgive me. Um, <laughs> so I want to go, I want to go straight to you. Oakland, Oakland athletes, you're <laughs> proudly ripping the shirt there. First woman to join a major league staff at spring training in 2019 with the athletics and I just think about how amazing, but how intimidating that would be. And I have a quote, Ed, Ed Sprague said of you uh-huh. that the fact you can walk into a room full of old men and baseball guys and fit right into the conversation is fantastic. Now, I just want to ask what, thinking back to that very first day that you walked into the room, onto the field, whatever it was at spring training, how, tell me about your feelings going in and then that first moment. Um... I mean, I was so excited. I I feel like I was just, we were like, what were your expectations? My expectations were to be put to work, like right, any baseball <laughs> opportunity of getting to coach, right? Obviously, I was aware that I was the only woman and that I was in, like, they were going to potentially be like, what the heck, or have, you know, uh, negative thoughts towards or anything like that. But I don't really let those things affect me. I feel like we've all built resistance to that through the years, right? You've just said, you know, you you faced those kind of negative things since you were a little kid playing baseball and same as I, have I. So I have built resistance to anything negative. So I really don't think about it. Um, and I just take it head on. And so I was, I was mostly excited um, um, and ready to like hit the ground running, right? But in my, pers- my personality, though I'm talking a lot here, and can talk a lot. I usually in a new situation, I am very like kind of I sit back and take it all in, and I contribute when I'm asked to contribute, and then I build relationships and then kind of grow from there. So my first year, I was uh, if anything probably too quiet at the first week, and then came out of my shell. They they say, look at this girl, she used to be a saint, and now she says anything that comes to mind, you know. But 
But, uh, and then it, so I was really just so excited. And then getting to walk into the locker room and see my name on the jersey, like, so cool, right? Like, again, the name on the jersey, I think it just represents so much. You know, my parents are born in, were born in Cuba. My grandparents came here for better opportunities. And then here I am with my Alvarez last name on the back of a USA jersey, on the back of a uh, professional baseball team. So, uh, such a cool thing to be. And, and right when I, walked in like I was greeted by the head of player development which at the time now it's Sprague who you quoted but at the time was Keith Lipman um who's a wonderful man and he was just so you know welcoming and then introduced me as if it was no big deal to everyone along the line and and that's what I experienced to this day guys that were open-minded and willing to have me on board and then when they saw that just like just going back to my training days, just when they saw that, you know, what I was about and what I brought to the table, then they were all in. Like, there were no questions asked. Uh, and, you know, this year I had such a wonder, you know, the experiences continue to be wonderful and they continue to still be just as amazing as the first. So, um, yeah, I love it. And, I mean, it's it, it says, like, that quote by, by Sprague, you know, it's and it almost made me cry. <laughs> it's so what it's so power right, impactful and powerful to hear it from a guy, right? That yep. we know these things and, and it it's almost necessary. People like the public needs to hear it from the from men that are in the game, right? And so his yep. statement's very important and, and obviously I feel very honored that it was about me, but um it, it was so it's so nice that like he feels that way and that they all feel that way and they see that we are capable of doing the job and they accept us just as if we were a guy. Like it has no, no issue with gender at that point once we prove that what we can do. And it, it comes down to you use that word prove. It feels like our entire career we have to prove every time we go up to bat or whatever it is in the game, we're constantly proving just that we, that we can belong. Um, and that does get exhausting. And I'm, I'm hoping that that's changing. Oh, I definitely <laughs> felt that changed over time. But it's good uh-huh. that um, I think I know in Australia, a lot of men or a lot of people, I don't want to put a gender on it, mainly have seen women's baseball at a lower grade because that's what they turn up to on a Saturday. And I, I go back to when I say they don't get to watch the Australian team very often. It's just making sure that more and more people get exposed to our sport to realize just how good we are as, as players and, and in your respect here as a coach. But I just wanted to yeah. ask, I could imagine on a, any given day, any given hour at an MLB spring training, there must be just so much information. How do you, how do you take it all in? Like, how do you not get overloaded? There just must be so much stuff you want to take back to your team. And yeah. yeah. Um, the, so the first, my first year when Keith, Lippman was the head of player development. He did a lot of things on like coaching development too, which was cool. Um, He'd have, for instance, he sent a book before showing up at spring training. He sent a book out to read and to do a project, which I thought was awesome. And the book was the touch points. And, um, and you had to kind of create a diagram, which I understood as being like kind of to center you. So when things start to go wrong or like, things become overwhelming. If there's a negative situation that you have to deal with, like what is it that brings you back to center, your your why, your reason you're there, like how can we make sense of, of these things? So um, I thought it was such a cool project. Uh, and I have, I continue to think that it was so valuable to this day for me because uh, as you know, and kind of you, you hit over the top, um, 
there are so many issues to solve the problems of women in baseball, or women's baseball, right? And and as you and I, we can talk about all the problems, and that's what we do on the you know the the national team players. We talk about ways we could solve the problem, but there's so many. And if we if we don't focus in on them, if we focus on all the problems, then we're never going to solve anything. Mm-hmm. So kind of finding our lane and 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 kind of uh, finding what we're good at, and then solving that problem within our lane. I think that's how we're going to be uh, most successful. So with this project, I kind of realized my why and and found my lane, and now I'm able to say yes to the right opportunities and then justify the no's for the wrong opportunities because they don't fall in line with my why and they won't be of benefit to the game, right? To the girls game, to women in baseball. So um, that project was wonderful. And so that was one of many kind of things that we did on the coaching staff. We'd get there early, have coaches meetings, but also do some sort of development, whether it was learning a new piece of equipment, uh, somebody's new strategy of something, um, or just conflict resolution, things like that. So that was a really cool thing to be a part of on top of all the baseball information. Um, but yeah, I would just make notes. Like I would go back to my locker and make notes in my notebook or, or just, I save all of the schedules that we have. And, and I would try to like, just kind of do little reminders of things that I wanted, uh, to either incorporate into the women's team or just like think about later. Um, but it was, uh, yes, my favorite part is that there is so much information being passed around and there's just like people talking baseball, which is so cool, right? Like we sit and watch a baseball game. We would watch the the big league guys play this year since they were kind of off. And then like, you know, the infielder bobbles the ball or whatever the case. And then the guy that infield coach talks about maybe why he bobbled the ball. He didn't keep his feet moving, you know, whatever. So there's constantly talk about baseball, which is something that I know you would love, you know, like (laughs) something that I absolutely love. So it's, it's such a like, uh, invigorating environment. Um, but yeah, so that that was a, a cool part of it. And one of the things I did incorporate into the women's national team when I became the manager in 2019 um, was the scheduling aspect of it. So I never thought that that was something that was going to kind of click for me when I went to uh, spring training. But it's probably what clicked the most was like, like kind of ex- opened my mind to like what the way we've been doing things on the women's national team has not been effective. And there is such a better way to do things. And so just seeing that, the guy in the A system that was doing the scheduling at the time could schedule 190 players on four fields in four hours. And everyone's like, it's just like all these moving parts and everyone's accomplishing different things. And it's not just like 20 guys on one field and 20 guys on another. Like there's so much happening at one time. Like that kind of expanded my mind to think about our women's trials, our women's training camps to kind of do the same and, and then make them more efficient. Hmm. Well, you had immediate effect. I mean, 2019, Pan Pack Gold with the US women's team and first woman to, I feel like first woman is just should be the start of your name. The first woman, <laughs> no. the first woman to be named the USA Baseball Coach of the Year. Um, again, we talk about recognition. Uh, how, how, how important or how, how special was that moment? It's wonderful, but I always like, I, I feel like it was a team win. I mean, I wouldn't have been able to do that without the staff that I had uh, at, on uh, at the event or even at training uh, we had such a great staff but also the players that we had um, and the adjustments that they made obviously because the coaches helped and vice versa but but it was such a team win on on both that with the team one team of the year that that same event too and then I won coach of the year but um, for 
for me, obviously it's an honor. Obviously I am great, you know, happy to have won that, but it was definitely a team win. And then I see the importance of it just for the, the idea of credit, right? Giving me credit, giving women credit is how I see it amongst the men. So even if it was the 50, uh, men that coach within USA baseball that for the first time were like, what, there's a woman's baseball team. Cause even some of them probably don't know. Mm. Um, or them just recognizing that, you know, oh, she must know what she's talking about. Like, even if it was 50 of them, I think that it that helps and makes a difference. So I think there's a lot of value in that, as we've said, the visibility and just like seeing, um, giving credit where credit is due, I guess. And no matter what the gender is and then and then kind of um, just just putting that out there that if USA baseball justifies me or, or kind of backs me, uh, then I must know something and then. Other, it allows other people to accept me as well. Yep. And by me, I mean all of us. <laughs> <laughs> 2020. After, after 2019, Pan, Pan Pax, you would have... Uh, everyone had their focus on the, the Women's World Cup. Obviously, the world flipped on its, on its axis. I guess firstly, the 2020 with your team, what have you, what are some of the uh, the things that you've done differently? What are the new approaches? Have you kept in touch with your, kept tabs with your players over that period? Yeah, just trying to stay in touch. Um, it's hard, you know, not to train for something that doesn't exist, you know, like as a, you can't just train all year long for an event, you know, there has to be downtime too. So I think that's something that the players have struggled with is finding when to train or like when we did have a potential world cup date, like, do we start training? So at the beginning there was definitely that because we didn't know that the world cup was going to be canceled, you know, at initially when we didn't know really what COVID was or what it would become. Um, so that we had women, you know, planning pregnancies and if they should get pregnant or not, uh, that was a question I got a couple of times. Um, but, I just try to stay in touch um, and just kind of on a personal level and just kind of just chime in and, and maintain relationships. I think those things are important. Um, so it's, it's just been that and then supporting them in any way as far as like if they are training. Uh, today I had a conversation with Anna Kimbrell about, you know, some catching stuff that she was tossing around. So uh, it's just trying to stay in the loop with them and things like that and kind of get, get them um, – you know, kind of talk them out of the, the uh, how upset they were or, or bummed they were about the cancellation of the World Cup and then just kind of moving forward. And I feel like the women, though, we make adjustments, right? It's, it's a bummer because these events don't come often, so we obviously do want them, but we also um, don't let them bring us down too much. You know, we're, mm. we're hopeful for the, the ones, you know, when it does it happen. So yeah. I'm worried about, you know, players like Malika Underwood who are old, Malika. Um, just kidding. She's, she's, uh, I don't know. She found the fountain of youth somewhere, but she's incredible. But, uh, I, you know, she, she has talked about, you know, potentially making some of the next world cups her last. So COVID getting in the way and then potentially reschedules of, of, of world cups. It's a bummer. Cause then we, she lost another opportunity to add a world cup medal to her, uh, mm. resume. You know, she's the one with the most world cup, uh, attendances or participation. So, um, but it's, it's a bummer to have lost that opportunity for her to have lost that opportunity. Um, and players like her, who knows, you know, who it took off the track of baseball and who it's kind of 
um, is going to lose. Mm. Conversely, though, um, it, it, it gives another year or so uh, for your younger players to develop or get stronger and things like that. Just on that, how, how is that next generation coming along? What's, what's, how's that looking? I think it's looking good. And so kind of go back on the, the events that we talked about with the MLB. Those have bridge gaps and have also opened us up to meeting these younger players. So I've now been able to follow some of them for the last four years because I met them at the first Trailblazer event. Um, so it's been fun to watch them develop. And, and, and then last, or not last year, in 2019, um, when we went for the Pan American Qualifier, it was kind of a last-minute event. So we did things differently. We didn't have an open tryout. We didn't have like a overall tryout or anything like that. We knew that we would have, I believe we had 14 set roster spots and we told the returners that they had a spot on the team so that they could plan accordingly to be gone from work and such. Uh, And then we filled our training camp with a lot of younger players um, for development purposes. Uh, And and I think that was really good. I felt like it was a successful camp. Uh, We brought the level of play up from the younger players. They saw what was expected of them and then they, they acted accordingly. Um, And so it was really cool to see their development in in such a short time. So I had been with some of those players at the Breakthrough Series um, less than a month before. And I saw them um, amongst other teenagers, right? And they were good. Obviously, they stood out. But they weren't at the level of the national team. Like, they, I, the, some of the, the coaches at the Breakthrough Series were national team members and we knew that this event was going to happen so when we weren't practicing with the breakthrough series participants we were training i was training them i was training with them with the national team players so um i was it was very obvious to me or uh, kind of seeing like the teenagers the younger players play in their event and then an hour 30 minutes later i'm training the national team players the difference in their level of play was was obvious right in that moment um and then that fast forward to less than a month later, they come into our national team training camp. They start out the same as they were in the breakthrough series. And within like a day, they're like, whoa, I need to like raise the, my game up, right? The way I present myself, the way I act on the field, the way I, I bring, you know, what I bring to the field. Uh, and it was so cool to see. And it wasn't, Kim Ng actually came out to that event too oh, when wow. she was working for Major League Baseball. And so she just was, uh, she was at both breakthrough series and then she came to that event and she was she was one of the ones that made that comment of I can't believe the improvement in some of these these teenagers uh, from a couple of weeks ago to today um, and it was really that just being surrounded by players that were had a different level of play than them right mm. that had higher expectations and then they they brought theirs up so so anyway going back to your question it's I see a lot of uh, there's a lot of potential in these young players and I'm very excited to see them out at trials. I'm excited to see what a year of training and, and um, I feel like they've developed more than the women. They've been probably just working and doing things at home where the, the younger players have been training and had that time on their hands. So it's kind of cool to see what they bring to the table. Um, but yeah, I, I hope, and this is a reason I hope that one day we have like a U 20 event or a U 18 event uh, that we could create a team for that because I I would be such a shame for these girls, really strong players to come out, not make the team, and then we lose them forever. Mm, I, I, I agree. I think that 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 pathway gap of the under 20, under 21, whatever the, whatever the age group is, there, there was that tournament uh, 
for about three or four years back 2012, 13, 14. Australia went to it a couple of times because you see that youth, it's that you want more opportunities for them to play, but also more options and opportunities so we don't lose them. Um, yeah. And the amount of juniors, I know, for example, in the Australian squad at the moment, we've got probably a dozen girls, teenagers, um, who are pushing for spots and, and having those uh, veteran players such as Yutani Lovewings and Laura Needs and Shay Lillywhite helping them along. And the same with Canada. I think they had seven teenagers on their team at the last World Cup. And yeah. I, I know you probably don't want to remember that, <laughs> that bronze medal game. One of the best <laughs> 10 inning that game. I think I've watched that game about four times. That was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> That's my same That was memory. horrible. That's how I remember the bronze in 2008. So <laughs> it's. Um, oh my gosh. It's I was no. standing on first base thinking, what? We can't move a runner over? We can't hit a runner over? Like, you know how many times we practice that in a cage? Or like, oh and, and on the field, and it's like part of like all of our practices, like everyone just wants to pop the ball straight up. That's what we're going to do today. <laughs> and then Canada explode for, what, five of their own or six of their own? In the oh, my tenth. gosh. But just on that, you've how... What does the USA need to do to get back onto that, into the medals? Oh, we were winning it this year. Like this in 2020, we were going to win it 100%. I have no doubt in my mind that we we're going to win it. And I will bring that back to the table in 20, whenever the heck it happens. We're going to make <laughs> it happen. But 2020 was like the way we were playing in 2019. Forget mm-hmm. the competition. Like who, I don't even care who was on the other side of the field. And that's not to, to diminish any or like, you know, to talk badly about anybody. But the way that we were playing, yep. we would have beat everyone. Yep. It was it was like insane how these these women were playing, uh, and and it was it was so fun to be a part of, right? And and so cool to see. But like they made some some weird. Our nine hole hitter hit for the cycle. I don't know if you know this. Wow. And she finished it with a home run over center field. Who who's that? Lansdale Ashton Lansdale. Wow. Like it was nuts, and 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 a week before at the tri- at the training, all she could hit were pop ups straight up into the sky. That's all she could hit. And we, uh, she worked with our hitting guy. We did made some adjustments. She bought in, which is huge. I give her so much credit for that because I know it's not easy. A week later, you have to perform and try to make the the roster spot. Uh, she bought in, and she. I mean, it was like unstoppable. Mm. And, so, and you find, yeah, these juniors, they're just so, they just want it. They want it now, unfortunately. They want everything now. Um, yeah. Which we, we need to slow them down. But they are just, they are so keen. And there's so many athletes. I think that versatility of being able to play multiple positions too, I think is yeah. such a great thing, I think, for, for baseball now. Definitely. But let me bring it back to a more better answer for, for you is <laughs> it, not so abrasive. Um I, I think just that, like the whole idea of the we over the me is a big part of it, right? Everyone knowing their role uh, and buying into their role, even though we don't like our role at times, right? And so that importance of, of I feel like we are most successful that way when we know what we're there to do and then we do it right. And it's for the benefit of everyone else, not just myself or, you know. So hmm. I think that's a big part of, of our success in 2019 and I think that will continue to be a part of our success in the coming years um obviously more time together to train would be wonderful uh but if the women continue to be dedicated then I think what they're doing on their own and then trusting our coaching staff 
um, to make any adjustments at the last minute um, is, is would be wonderful, right? But uh, I think that whole we were best when we were working uh, for each other. Mm, yeah, no, I hear. You. I, I, same for Australia. It's. I mean, we were lucky. We got to. to I, I guess we didn't do it, uh, many camps, but we did more camps, I guess, than than you guys. But um, and I know I know you're biased if I ask you this question. But is the USA going to be the next team that beats Japan? Who's going to beat Japan? My, if I was a betting person, and I'm a, I'm not. My money probably might be on Chinese Taipei. I think Chinese Taipei has been a absolute bolter in the last couple of World Cups. We, we've been waiting for them to to hit their straps, but I, I know you'd say it was the USA. Who, <laughs> who? I guess, I guess, how? How do we beat Japan? How do, How does? How does? I'll let everyone else beat Japan too, but we're gonna win. that's a great Um, answer i don't need to be first to be japan or anything like that or the only ones to be japan but we're gonna win um i think i mean obviously they're a hard team to defend just in the same batter that will drop a bunt and run it out the first is gonna hit a triple off you in the gap the next Mm -hmm. time so i think that's very uh that's an issue and defending that and and kind of pitching to that uh game but I think we just need to play our own game in that and, and capitalize on opportunities to, like I said, move runners and score them. So um, I think that, I don't know. I think we just need to take our approach to the game and we'll win it no matter what they're doing on the other side. Mm, I guess it's a, it's a case of not trying to be a better better than Japan. It's just trying to be the best that you can yeah, be. Yeah, we can't be better at Japan at being Japan. No. <laughs> if that makes any sense. So we got to be ours. We got to be USA and beat them doing what we do best. Yep, yep. Um, and I'm I'm appreciative of all your time. I've only got a few more questions, but I do want to ask one question. Um, Women's World Cup's been moved to every four years now. I know it's there's a three year cycle with a year off and um, OCL qualification, continent qualifications. Do you think that's a where do you think that sits now? Do you think it's a good thing, bad thing for women's baseball? Does it change? I think that's a bad thing, right? With the lack of opportunities that we have. Um, and I, I wish it wouldn't happen. So unless they're thinking of adding like Pan American games and Olympics and all these other things to the mix, then yeah, I'll take a World Cup every four years. But uh, without those other events, and we don't have we don't have outlets for it and then we lose players. Like it's going to be a completely different team every time we go to a World Cup potentially. Right, because it's hard to 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 maintain that for four, three years that you're not playing. People already think we're crazy when we maintain it for two years. Uh, you know, an every other year situation. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think when I first saw the announcement from WBSC, I was shocked and I guess disappointed because I, I think when you think about, oh, I'll go on to one more World Cup, or if you had that injury for one World Cup, it's not a career ender. But I think significantly though, I think every four years from a pathway perspective it's hanging on to those talents, particularly if softball remains in the Olympics and without, I think this now strengthens the need for leagues in each country, um, but quality mm-hmm. leagues and, and look, maybe it opens up the opportunity for international players to travel once we can travel around the world and play in each other's leagues. But I agree. I think that pinnacle developing that national program in each country now becomes again, Japan's a whole another kettle of fish. They've got their, their programs, but I think, yeah, I agree with you. I think it's, it's going to be a challenge now. Yeah, I, I think we need we need an event every year, I feel like, to grow the mm. game or to keep it around. So, I mean, I keep I 
I've talked to you about vision board, but I keep putting on my vision board that we're going to be in the Olympics and, and that we're going to have uh, more events and that U20 thing. And every time I get an opportunity to say it about anyone that has any power over this, I always throw that in the mix because um, it is, I think that those things, right, more events, um, more opportunities, and then that bracket, that U21 bracket, those events are going to be big. We can't have a U20 team until there's an international event hosting one or hosting mm. a U20 event, right, or U18, whatever we want to call it. Um, but the USA Baseball won't have a U20 girls team until there's an event like that. So we need those events to be created so that we can there, in fact, uh, have a futures team or have a, a team to grow into the women's national team. Mm. Yes, time will tell if we, I guess, firstly, when the 2021 is held, but then I guess the next four years after that is going to be very... Very interesting to watch how it happens. You've got your, your role as a coach, so you've got your, your performance in, as a coach, but you've also got everybody looking at you as a female coach, as a woman that's in baseball in that male-dominated world. Is that something you love, obviously, being knowing that you're a role model? Yeah, I, I definitely take that to heart and I embrace it. I think uh, it's, one, an honour. Um, uh, pressure is a privilege, as as the quote goes, and I, I don't feel pressure that takes me off track. Like I don't feel it or let the pressure affect me in any negative way. I, as a firefighter, I'm also in a male dominated role. So I, I feel like world. So I feel like I'm very uh, capable of handling that kind of situation. Um, I would love for there to be more women. So it's not like I just want to be the only one or anything like that. I want, I want to open the door and like chalk it open so that more could come through. Uh, but I, I, I do, embrace the fact that I am a role model and, and find it to be very important. And, and the way that, you know, like uh, any little girl that I see playing baseball, I'm like, go try to like, let her know the importance of, or the, the fact that there are opportunities for her or just kind of try to educate her just for the fact of her having role models. Um, and so, I mean, I, I'll point out other role models, like being able to do the trailblazer series this year virtually, uh, and just get to talk to those, you know, 12 and under girls, 10 to 12 year olds. Um, it's, it's an honor to be able to do that. And for them to see me as a role model, role model is, is wonderful, but that's, they're, they're my why, right? I want to create these opportunities for them. I do things based off things I wish I had when I was younger. Um, so I hope that they're able to see me and then look at me and say, I could do that. I could be her or I can be better than her. That's what I want to be for these young girls. So uh, I definitely um, see that I am a role model or that I am put into that uh, role and I embrace it. I love it. And the last question is, you've talked a lot about your, the name on the back, which I know we all play for the name on the front, but that name on the back, it's, 100%. it's, it's who you are. It's, it's what you represent as well. And I, I want to know when people see that name on the back of your jersey now, but also when they see it, who knows, in the Hall of Fame or future down, they think of Veronica mm-hmm. Alvarez. What do you want them to think? What is, what's your legacy? What do you want to leave? Oh my gosh, this is a deep question too. <laughs> well, I hope that I, I, I just continue to be that person that has, has created opportunities and opened people's minds to women having a place in the game. Um, both, and that goes across all genders. I, I have to open the minds of women, girls, and men. Uh, it's not just the men, right? It's, it's sometimes convincing ourselves that we belong. Uh, so I hope that that's what it's, yeah. So I, I hope that that's, um, what 
maybe the legacy I leave behind is that I was somebody that was there opening the door for others um, and just being a good example of to what women can provide. Awesome. Well, I think you're, you're doing, you've done and you continue to do. I know, I know you've got plenty of years of baseball, um, whatever the role left in you. So I know you'll continue to do that. It's been, it was an absolute pleasure to share the field with you, um, although it wasn't quite always the yeah. result that we wanted, <laughs> um, the, the Australians wanted. And it's been an absolute pleasure to, to talk to you today and continue to watch what you're doing over there. I'm just so envious and just so proud to see another female do what you're doing. I, th- I just love it. Um, and I just, I wish you all the best. Um, and I thank you for, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm glad you're doing this podcast. We need more uh, information about there about out there about women in baseball and women's baseball. So it's I'm excited to listen to all the future podcasts. Thank you. Well, um, it's going to be a, it's tough for, for everyone now. And, and I, I just wanted to point out, it's been very exciting to interview someone who's actually on the front of a book. <laughs> um, so I've just been reading the two Jennifer Ring books that a game of their own and stolen bases. So if you haven't read those two books, anyone that's listening, they're fantastic. And Veronica's on the cover of one of them. So if you weren't on the other side of the world, Lucky. I'll get you to pretty cool to interview someone on the front of a book. So that's, <laughs> I, I sometimes forget I was on the front of a book. Actually, I don't think anyone at work knows I was on the front of a book. Uh, they actually found my Wikipedia page at one point and altered it. You know, firefighters are really jokesters. So they found my, I never told anyone I had a Wikipedia, but it was funny how they found it. I had just been asked for a, uh, a bio of myself. And so I had, I was like on in the airport going somewhere. And so I had looked at my Wikipedia to see what was written. And I kind of copied and pasted and sent it to whoever was asking for it. And within minutes, my partners from work sent me a text with a link to my Wikipedia page. And I was like, that's weird that I miss send it to them or something. And then I read it and they altered the, the bio on it. I was like saying some, you know, silly stuff about, you know, that the, my, I had hopes and dreams of coming back to playing the game and that I had hired one of them to be my world renowned <laughs> trainer. And God knows all these things, right. That I fail at tennis and at ping pong and table tennis. And, and I was like, what the heck? So there, anytime they find anything about me, I got to be careful. So I was actually asked about that bio in an interview with a professional baseball team. And I, I couldn't believe it. I started laughing. They said, well, you, I saw you hired world renowned trader, you know, George Trotter, you know, can you tell me more about that? And I was like, oh my gosh. So anyway, they're jokesters, but yes, thank you. I, I, for, yes, I was on the front of a book. (laughs) Felt lucky she picked that picture. That was the same series of pictures that the the trucking was in, by the way. It is, yeah, two thousand and eight. So um, maybe I'll go go and uh, change your Wikipedia profile photo to the uh, the photo. Yes, <laughs> I might have to post that on my Instagram this week. Yeah, we've got them somewhere. I'm sure Sam will have a laugh, a chuckle. I know she. Um, <laughs> I know you guys have made up since then. So no, it's all good. It's all good. No, I appreciate it. Thank you for your time. All right, thank you. Thanks for tuning in for today's episode of Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. Make sure to check the show notes below for links to some of the things we've discussed and mentioned in this episode. We would also love it if you could subscribe to the show and leave us a review. And if you have some time, throw us some love over on social media at Women's Baseball, The Inside Pitch. Catch you next time.